0: And uh, briefly, even though we don't have much time, I'd like to speak about what I think uh, arguably is the building block or the cornerstone of Talmud Torah, of learning, and that is the Rebbe-Talmud relationship. Um, There's obviously much to say about this uh, on an emotional or guidance level, but I'd like to speak about it even more basically than that, and that is from a a Makoro's perspective, what should one be looking for in a Rebbe, what is the Rezan de Etre, what is the mission of a Rebbe, And not only how to be a good Rebbe, but a question which I think is not asked enough, how does one be a good Talmud? And I believe that, in fact, if we examine both of those questions, we will find that they actually merge in a very, very beautiful, slightly dialectical, but mainly a complementary and reciprocal way in which we can, the more we understand what it means to be a good Rebbe, we'll appreciate how to be a good Talmud, and the more we understand what it means to be a good Talmud, we'll understand better what we're looking for in a Rebbe. If one asks the question simply and directly, what should one want? What should one look for for themselves, for their children in a Rebbe? This very basic question is already asked by the Gemara itself in two places. In the first source on your sheet, I mentioned one of them, the Gemara Moed Kraton, which asks, in essence, the question, what should one look for in a Rebbe? What's the standard? And the Gemara actually gives a very shocking and high standard based on a very well-known Pesach in Malachi. No less, says the Gemara. What should you be looking for in a teacher, in a Rebbe? A Rebbe should be comparable, should remind you of an angel, a Malach. And somehow less than that, short of that, you shouldn't be looking for it. If the Rebbe reminds you it looks like a Malach, then you should study Torah from him. And if not, don't learn from him. Now what does this mean? This is quite dramatic. And I have to say, uh, the, I don't remember the first time I learned the Gemara, but the first time I remembered the Gemara once I was a Rebbe, it gave me pause, to say the least. What exactly does that mean, that a Rebbe has to be like an angel, like a Malach? So there are many, many different interpretations, some of which speak to ascetics, extreme piety, and I'm sure there's a certain grain of truth in all of them. But what has always resonated for me in general, and I think certainly uh, in a she'er like this, is the explanation that is given by the Baal Sefer HaFla. The author of the HaFla also wrote a commentary on Masechus Kiddushan, a very well-known Sefer, called the Sefer HaMaknem. In an introduction to that Sefer, he quotes the Skemara. And he explains in source number two, using a well-known distinction, which is found in many other Sfarim, between human beings and angels. And he gives you the sources, We don't have time to read them all inside together, but you see them here on the sheet. On the top part of the source, he points out that from various sources in tzuchim, that human beings are referred to, you see at the end of the first line there, as a mahalach. Human beings walk, and it doesn't mean literally just physically walk, but human beings can move from station to station from different places in their life. The more they do good things, the more we can grow and get better. Unfortunately, of course, we have a Chirachafshis, we can make the wrong decisions. But humanity, the human existence is not static, it's fluid. And by definition, by essence, human beings are Mahalchim, we move from one place to the next. However, based on Psukim, he quotes, and others I say, others have said this before him and since, angels are referred to not as Mahalchim, but as Omdim. Of course, that's the metaphor even of the one leg, we keep our feet together, when we imitate angels in things like Kedusha, because angels, he explains, angels are who they are. It may be a very high level, but one thing they aren't, is they don't have the ability to grow. They don't have the ability to progress. An angel is given, again, this is an idea we're all familiar with, a certain mission, each angel with their own, a very high and elevated mission, but that's it. They are who they are. They are fully dedicated to the task. But there is no possibility of moving. There is no possibility of growing. And in light of this distinction, says the Sefer HaMachna something amazing. If you look at the second half of source number two, where it's underlined, that's the Pshadi says in the Gemara. Shaharav le'talmidav yosim talmidav When a Rebbe is teaching, and I would say not only each sheer, but take a step back. When a Rebbe decides, I want to be a Rebbe, that's going to be my career, that's going to be my chosen life profession. When a Rebbe, a person decides, I'm going to be a teacher of Torah, says the Baha Fla, he has to be, not like a human being, he has to be like an angel. He has to say, I have a mission to teach Torah, to help elevate and inspire my students. zehu, And that is it. That is my only focus. He says amazingly, in that second underlined part there, V'loyachsho v'oso to Toeles alios atzmo. He should think nothing about his own growth. What's best for him? What would be the best style of shir that he'd like to give? What topic would he like to speak about? What type of shir will help him grow? None of that can be in his mind. That's a human thought. It's a natural thought. But it's totally incorrect and says the makneh it's disqualifying. <laughs> to be a rebbe-worthy that people should be m'vakesh Torah m'picha. You have to have one focus and one focus only. What's best for the students? And therefore he continues, that is the focus. Ki chashvu alios atwa, if a Rebbe thinks about what's best for him, hu manias alios talmidav. Then he will prevent the, the Talmud from growing. But tzorach lios ba'os osha kemalach hanikra omed lo yachshov harav ki b'zeh yismay chachmaso. An astounding, astounding shot. I don't know if this sounds you know, maybe obvious to you, but I can tell you, being on the other side, Rebbeim are human. I remember years ago, my first year in Wayu, at the time I was struggling in a Rosenzweig year, quite overwhelmed, like anyone would be when you first encounter the ash of his Torah. And I'm embarrassed to say it now, but I went to him suggesting that perhaps I should switch shiurim. I understood sheer well enough to know that's where I wanted to be, but not well enough to actually be learning anything, really. So I said to him, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but we, among friends, I said, you know, I could tell I want to be with you, but I'm not ready yet. So where would you recommend I go so that I can somehow get my way back? And I started this, I won't show you all the specifics of the conversation, but I started in my own ridiculous 19-year-old way, listing the names of other very senior Rebbeim, and what I considered their Der Chalimud, as I understood it with all the power and knowledge that I possessed as a 19-year-old. And therefore, which one of these, you know, and uh, this Rebbe teaches this way because he believes X is important, and this Rebbe Rebbe teaches that way because he believes Y is important, and I'll never forget, Rundzweig, let me finish, but he did pause and he just said, I just want to point out, Rebbeim don't just teach because they believe X or Y is important. Rebbeim also do what they're good at. And I was like, whoa, Rabbi, you like human. <laughs> like human. And he's right. Rabbi, but there's a certain natural urge. Everyone wants to do what they're good at. Everyone wants to teach a style or a content that will help them. But says the Makda, you have to overcome that urge. That's not being a rab who's doma lamal ha Because if you're worried about what's best for you, what kabbashir you want to give, what tabator you want to give, it's not going to be best for the Talmud. But that's quite a high level. How does a human being, a natural human being, how does one achieve, even aspire to such a high level? So I think the answer is based on the well-known medrash in the Sifrei in source number three. The Rambam quotes it in the beginning of Hechos Talmud Torah. tam <speaking> Levanecha, <in Hebrew> we should teach our children, Eilu <speaking> Talmidecha. <in Hebrew> says the Shahat talmidim Kruyim Bonim. A key, even more basic then focusing on what your Talmud's needs are, what leads you to that, if you're truly a Rebbe, is that you view all of your students as children. And as a parent, you only want what's best for them. You're not worrying about what's best for you. As the Gemara says in source number four, u'talmido." There's a certain natural overlap, or at least there ought to be, between a Rebbe and his students and a parent and his or her Children, and just like there's, there's in a normal, healthy parent-child relationship, it's an important qualifier. But in a normal, healthy parent-child relationship, there's nothing that gives the parents more nachas than their children should be more successful, should do better in their career, be more successful, be a bigger tamachacham, make more money, whatever it is, achieve a higher promotion in the field. A normal, healthy parent is thrilled when their child succeeding, even more than they are. So too are Rebbe as well, because if you truly view your your Talmidim as children, all you want is the best for them. And I would suggest, and I haven't seen anyone make the connection, but to me it seems obvious that that's what's underlying the same idea of the Makna. If you truly view your Talmidim as children, then you want what's best for them, and not what's best for you. And this recalls or remarks something that Rev. Rosenzweig often used to quote and that is his interpretation of the Mishnah in Perkei In the opening Mishnah of Perkei we know after the list of the Mesorah, it mentions that the Asha Knesset Hagdola taught three things, a matunim Bedin, finally Asus Yog but in the middle, He'emidu Tamidim Harbe. And Rev. many times explained, I'm sure Rabbi Turetsky has heard this from him as well, and I later saw, and I believe someone once eventually showed Rev. Rosenzweig, he had been saying this on his own for many years, but at some point in some lecture many decades ago, Salavich had already made the idea. Why, as the Marfarsham and Perkevis already point out, why does the Mishnah use the term he'emidu? You should say Yilamdu teach many students, right? If the goal is, as many of the classical Mepharshim do, they say this is actually an educational issue. Should we be elitist and only take the best students? Or should we have a base hillel approach, a hillel approach of open the base matters to anyone who wants to learn? So it sounds like the Mishnah's poskening and that Machlokes, he'midu tomorrow, we have open admissions, invite as many Tamidim as you can to the yeshiva. But if that's the case, why he'midu? Why the verb he'midu? Which really means to stand. So if you look in the next source, number six, in the second paragraph, Salvechik gave an interpretation of this, which again I heard many times years before I saw this in writing. This is a book that just came out a year or two ago called Halachic Morality, which includes in the first few chapters of Salvechik, that the verb he'emidu implies the development of the free and independent disciple who can stand on his own two feet, who is able to succeed and master things on his own. He'emidu mi milashon, stand up to Talmidim, give them independence. And this similarly is also something in which parents and Rebbeim if they have appropriate relationships with their children or students, this is also what they want. As much as you want to hold them close, as much as you want to nurture them and give, every parent knows that to ultimately be successful, to give your children a truly healthy basis, you have to allow them to grow, you have to allow them to be independent. And says the Rav, said of Roseswai, it's the same idea with Talmidim, we give them everything, but it's not to keep them close, it's to help them stand on their own two feet. As the... Uh, I don't know who said this, but one of those famous aphorisms talked about parents, how parents give children but two things, roots and wings. And if you don't give your children a basis, roots, they can't stand on their own two feet. But if you hold them too close, if you don't give them wings so they can fly on their own, you'll suffocate them, you'll impoverish them. And it's the same thing with the Rebbe and the Talmud. He emidu talmidim harbei. Rebbeim are there to dedicate everything or should be, to their Talmidim for what's best for them, what's best for them is ultimately to be able to stand on their own two feet. If this is the case, I'd like to turn our attention now to complete this year to the second half of the equation. If we've seen that the focus of a Rebbe is supposed to be one who's completely in all focus and dedicated to what's best for his students, who wants to give them independence and does all of that because a Rebbe is supposed to be like a spiritual father, one who loves his children and wants best for them, even if it's, Even better, and more independent than the Rebbe, but he gives everything he has. So the flip side is obviously equally important. What should the Talmud be doing? How should the Talmud be looking for himself? What are the mission, what are the responsibilities of the student? We know the mission in Pirkei tells us, ase l'charav. But that's also a weird term. Why ase Why not find, have? What does that mean to make for yourself a rav? So perhaps perhaps part of that interpretation relates to an idea which is found in a number of Gemaras. I gave you two of them here in sources seven and eight. And those are two Gemaras and Brachos that speak about a well-known idea but a quizzical idea, a surprising idea, which I'd like to explain for a few minutes. And that is the importance of what Chazal referred to as shimush. The Gemara says in source number seven, gidola shimusha shel Torah, yoser milimudeha. That being, somehow being Meshamesh attending the Rebbe, attending to the Talmud Chacham, is even more important than learning from him. Shimush is greater than learning. Or, even more shocking, perhaps, the second source, number eight, the Gemar Brachos Mem Afilu Kara Vashina Shana Velo Shimush Talmud Chacham, even if you learned a lot, but you were never Mishamesh the Talmud Chacham, Hare Ze'am It's as if you learned nothing. And there are other Mamari Chazal, if you can believe it, to go even further than that. So apparently, learning without Shemush is not only secondary, it's not only Gedola, without Shemush, it's nothing. But what does that mean? Again, in our, we live in a somewhat jaded and often cynical world, and I, I can't blame people sometimes for being that, given some of the news stories out there. But if you didn't know anything, you would think this is like the ultimate ego trip, this is like the recipe for the unhealthy almost abusive Rebbe-Talmud relationship. It's just supposed to be what the Talmud can do for the Rebbe and serving him. It just, it sounds like the words are saying, and yet it can't obviously be that that's what Chazal had in mind. So what does that mean? Shimusha Yoser Milumuda. Somehow, what does that mean? You get the Rebbe coffee, that's better than if you pay attention in sheer? You tie the Rebbe's shoes, that's more important than whether you're learning. I mean, it just seems absurd. What do Chazal have in mind? Again, many, many interpretations to this idea. I'd like to share with you two. One is... And so, yes, please. Why do you assume that that's, that's a ridiculous idea? Meaning, okay. Meaning, uh, what I'm asking is, is that... This is the son of a Rebbe, by the way, I just want to point out. <laughs> and, and, and my father used to always have one guy that would get him coffee every morning. Every morning and an arch. There we go. What happened was, is that guy had a very special relationship with my father. Correct. I hear I'm it. saying, I'm not so sure. Fair enough. Again, I don't want to... Good. No, no, no. This, but there may be a Hashimoto element... Yes, good. I'm, where I'm, where fine where I'm fine with Shimuchi that. And with that. a very special Yes, yes. A hundred percent. Yes. I, again, if you want to talk what they okay. gained... From, so, I'm not saying... I'm, so I'm, as I'm, as I'm getting to it. I'm getting okay. to it. Sorry. I am getting to it. I think what you're describing, I think, is probably going to be some of our second interpretation. Okay. But it's, yeah, I think you're right. In, in healthy relationships, again, it's, it's a significant thing. You know, Many of us have heard stories. Um, people, I guess they probably would be at the moment in their lower or mid-50s, people of that generation who were Talmidim of Soloveitchik as he was getting older and infirm, a number of them became Mesharsim of the Rav and have incredible relationships and stories. Even older, some of them. 16, 16 of them. Okay, some of them. Okay, anyway. Yeah, so... It's true. The question, though, is not whether shimush. I'll tell you what I mean by that. What my question implied, maybe I appreciate the question, you helped help me refine it. I don't mean that shimush can't be a healthy and positive thing. But Chazal going even further than that. Gidola Shemusha Yosar Milimuda. To use your example, right? If all the Talmud did was get your father coffee, but then didn't listen to the Shir, would you say that that's greater than listening to the Shir? It's hard to believe. So it's hard to believe Chazal meant that in a very little extreme way. But what did they mean? So again, many interpretations. I'll just briefly mention two of them, which I think are very, very important. The Maritzchios, in verse number nine, quotes an idea on his own, which he then says, So he says it's an idea from the Vilna Gon. Says the Maritzchios, you know what it means? We don't mean getting the coffee. Again, other Afarshi might interpret it that way, that's a simple understanding, but says Maritzchios, no, It's referring to a type of involvement with the Rebbe, non-book learning, to be sure. But still, limud, namely, halimud is shomeiach halachos. When Chazal use the term limud or talmud Torah or lima Torah, that's actual learning, book learning, so to speak, as we would say. But hashimush, serving the rebbe, so to speak, being close to the rebbe, outside the classroom, if you will, Hainu, That's also learning. What kind of learning? Halomaid mehisnahagus. It's talking not about serving the rebbe, but about observing the behavior. And the actions of the rebbe, and he, the gemara, the uh, gives two very famous examples. And not only the base knesses, they went into the home to watch the rebbe as a father, the rebbe as a husband, to observe the rebbe's actions and behaviors. And he says something very powerful. Number at the bottom of the page, mm-hmm. this idea, which again, I think modern educational experts have now reached is something that the Maritzchis and the Veloz of understood hundreds of years ago. That the out-of-class experience, the observation of the Rebbe in the house, I was fortunate uh, in my last five years in NYU, I moved to Riverdale to be a Misharis, Rabbi Willig. There were other benefits living in Riverdale too, but that's not, the other benefits came were side benefits. The reason we moved was to be there. We davened. Uh, all the young couples were at the RJC. We went to the Youngers of Riverdale, and I kind of became an unofficial assistant rabbi, summer rabbi. But it was really to be there with them to observe, to just get a sense of what it was like to be in his home, to see him in shul, to see him with Balabatim. And says the Maritzchias, says the Gon, that is something that can be even more powerful. In other words, what, and I, I, I'll say it this way, to provide a perfect a contrast to the second explanation we'll see in a moment, what the Gon and the Marathias are saying is. Shemush, the involvement, of being at the Rebbe's home, observing the Rebbe. I'll add, perhaps playing ball with the Rebbe. If you play ball with me, you actually have a chance to win. If the ball going to kill you. So I don't recommend that. You better be good if you're going to bring his game. Yeah, no, right. We're like sharp elbows, sharp elbows. Anyway, right. but you have a chance of beating him on the basketball court, not on the tennis. Exactly, not on the tennis. Correct, exactly. All right. Uh, Marshall Cole stories later. Anyway, so. Um, but with the Marit what so the Vilna Gaon are saying is that the Shimush we're describing, the ability to have a, what what a Talmud can achieve by having a relationship with his Rebbe beyond the classroom, is that there's new and additional things that they can learn. There is a whole form of Torah, which is not just in a sefer. a Torah is a living thing, and if you're close with your Rebbeim, if you observe them in life in all situations, you can learn that living Torah. But if you turn over the page, you see an alternate interpretation suggested by the Maharal. And if the Maharal got, you know, anticipated a modern educational insight, I think the Maharal really got it right in this case. The Maharal says something different, I think. Perush source number 10, the haTalmed Chacham, Hine haTalmed mischaber el Harav Adeshimusha shimusha shal Torah ubezeh min Harav. Maral, I don't think, is saying the same thing as the Mar-Trius. He's not saying that by observing the Rebbe in his home, with his children, you'll see things and learn new things. Rather, says the Maral, by being with the Rebbe, whether it means getting him his coffee or just driving somewhere with him or driving somewhere, whatever it is, but that downtime together, if you will, says the Maral, it's not that you'll learn new things, but the, quote, old things, the things that he was anyway teaching you, will be deepened you'll be closer to the Rebbe. As he says in the third line, after the fourth line, he says, Again, something which we take for granted in our, again, I think in a healthy way, in our world of informal education, and it's just like Kolel and Rebbe Tamar, but I don't think it was nearly obvious when the Maral said it. There's being mischaber to the Torah of the Rebbe, that you get from the classroom, that you get from the shir, that you can get from YUTorah.org. But to be el harav atzmo, to have a relationship with the Rebbe, that happens ayudei shimush, not necessarily through the book learning, but through the conversations and the experiences and the interactions. And that's another dimension, which is not only important in its own right, but it's important because that's what allows the Torah to seep in and be deeper. I think the maritzchios, the vilnagon, are suggesting that there's new things you can learn from the shimush. Maral is not describing something new. As new, new information, new Torah, but that the relationship itself is valuable and something that can deepen. Yes, it's true. When you're hanging out with the Rebbe, you may see something and learn something from that. But th- that's not necessary for the Maral. The Maral is saying just the very act of being mischaber el harav or a atsmo, that itself deepens. And in fact, if you won't read it on inside, but if you turn back to the front, the first side of the sheet the first interpretation that Rav Salaveche gave to Ha'emidu is exactly this idea of the Maharal. The Maharal and the Rav don't often go together. But in this case, in this case, his first interpretation, which I don't like as much as a parish in Ha'emidu, but as an idea, the first interpretation that the Rav said there is exactly what the Maharal says. That Ha'emidu, from the perspective of the Rebbe, the Rav says what the Maharal says from the perspective of the Talmud of Mishamish. That the more you interact with the Rebbe, the more you commit to him on a personal level, the closer you are, and as a result, the Torah, which you might have learned anyway, will be deepened and more real. Yes? It's possible to the two are real just of one idea, because if you start with the proposition, I'm even not see as much as people when they then go out and have to work, but that the notion that there should not be a duality or a dichotomy between the base medrash and the outside world. Yeah, I can right? hear that. Yeah. You need to be walking Torah and seeing the Torah in the world 24-7, then maybe the two notions come closer to each other because yeah. you're absorbing yes. from the Rebbe. yeah. I'm focused on the individual players, so to speak, in this, in this uh, drama, the Rebbe and the Talmud. What you're saying is if you take a step back and look at just the goal of Torah, so that in fact they really overlap. Or as uh, Raputner would say, right, a broad life, not a double life. Right? The more you see Torah as a living thing then the more these things come together and that's actually in fact part of my point which I would want to get to now as we move into the last five minutes of my shir which is that I think that as much as we can look at the Rebbe and his responsibility to the Talmud in one sand and the idea of a Talmud he has to be a his Rav, he has to you know, be a Vakesh Talmud I think in fact there's a certain overlap in a way that really they each there's a certain reciprocity in which they each contribute to the other which I'd like to focus on now for the final section of, of the shir. Source number 11 is an amazing gemara in sukkah. Again, many Mepharshim speak about this. It's one of our Rosenzweig's favorite gemaras uh, as well. And that is the amazing statement or, that Rebbe Lezer makes about himself. Lo amarti dover shlo shamati mipirabi olam. Right? Shurim B'Rechai, Talmud, says, I never, Rebbe Leezer says, I never, ever said anything that I didn't previously hear from my Rebbe. They'd ask him a question in that Gemara he says I can't answer you because I didn't hear from the Rebbe I can't answer. But the question is obvious. First of all just intuitively it just seems impossible. Could it be? The great relationship he never said anything he didn't hear from in sheer but it's not only logically impossible it's factually incorrect as the Mishnah or the Bryson and Avos Rabbi a source number twelve points out at one point Rabbi Yochanan and they're pu- they're pushing they're pushing Rabbi Lozzer to say something the base matters he didn't want to but he finally did he got up and he gave a drasha ozen he didn't just say amazing chidushim, he never heard from his revi he said amazing chidushim, that no one had ever said anywhere ever before he was an unbelievably creative thinker an unbelievable creative mind abamachadish amayin he said incredibly new things. And clearly, they weren't things he heard from his rebbe. So, how could it be? Was, was he lying when he said I only said things that my rebbe? He was just a way of getting out of a question. He was just trying to dodge. What does that mean? So, I think the idea, which to some extent Rosenwald likes to speak about as well, but I here just to give you a written source for it. Rucham Shmulevitz, in a very beautiful piece in the Sichos Muster" in source number thirteen, he explains what we're describing here is a certain methodology. Biurheni kahu. Of course, Rebbe Leezer said things he hadn't heard from his Rebbe. Of course, Rebbe Yohannam Zakkai did teach him everything. Before he said anything, he thought to himself, would my Rebbe have said such a thing? He had been given the Kalian, he had been given the methodology on his level to learn and to think and to analyze the way his Rebbe would. And a true Talmud who has been not only spent many years learning from his Rebbe, but Misharis the Rebbe, has a certain intuitive sense. Now, can this be abused? Like everything, yes, it could be. And we see this, unfortunately, times in our life, where people will say, say certain things that they want, and they cloak it in, my Rebbe would have agreed. So, yes, things can be abused. But again, in a responsible and healthy way, Again, I find this even um, again uh, on my own level very often, certain ideas I think of, and I can't remember, did I hear this from my Rebbe? It sounds like the kind of thing he would have said. And sometimes I'm really just confused. And sometimes I really feel like I thought of it on my own, but there's no way I would have thought of it had I hadn't been first the Talmud of his. And in fact, Rev used to say that the Rav was very much similar to this as well. That The Rav used to sometimes say in Shir that when he had a difficult Rambam, he would see the dmus diukno of his father or his grandfather, and especially if he thought he was saying a bad svara, he could hear them yelling at him. In other words, I don't think, I don't think, you have to go as far as extreme as Rebbe Yezher. And never say anything unless you first are convinced that your Rebbe would have said it. I don't think you have to go as far. Rebbe Yezher did. But the value that he's expressing, the idea that a Rebbe is given a certain kalim and then they can, as best as possible, reproduce what the Rebbe would have said, that I think is a critical point. And here is the first idea of overlap. Maybe you can call it dialectic. On the one hand, we said, The Rebbe is supposed to give the Talmudim a sense of independence. But Mitzad Sheni, the Talmud sees himself not as independent from, but as a hemsheikh of. The and I don't think it's a contradiction. That self-perception. It's not about whether everything you say your Rebbe did say, and I'll, again, I won't go as extreme as Rabbi has or even that you're sure that everything you said the Rebbe would have said. Maybe you can't be so sure. But the sense that I'm thinking, analyzing, learning, teaching the way my Rebbe did that you see yourself, as much as your Rebbe made you independent, but from the Talmud's perspective... You see yourself as a continuation. You see yourself as taking the next step It's something very, very healthy. And I want to mention two final things before we conclude. And that is, one is, is an amazing, amazing teaching. A halacha in the Gemara, which the Ramam, I think, takes us to the next level. And you see, again, this exact, the certain reciprocity or overlapping between the way a Rebbe sees his Tal- Talmidim and the Talmud sees his Rebbe. And that is an incredible halacha the Gemara says in Makos Taf Yuram Talmud Shagala or Gola, Megal Rabo Rabbo If a student kills somebody by accident, we know the Halacha has a Rotech B'shogeg, has to go to Golas, has to go to the Ir Miklat. So if a Talmud does that, a Talmud has to go to Golas, the Gemara says an astounding thing, his Rebbe has to go to Golas too. Right? You think about that, yeah, you have to leave your family, go to the Ir Miklat, that's if you, you know, were chopping wood by accident, killed somebody. But says the Gemara, if a, rebbe, if a Talmud does this, if a student does that, his Rebbe has to go to Golis too. So where do we get it from? So the Gemara says, because the Apostlech says, in Sefer Tzvarim, when it's talking about the Rasech Shogeg that he'll run to the Ir Miklat and he'll live there. But says the Gemara, excuse me, Ovele so midi, you You have to do everything that the Talmud needs to live. Now, the implication is quite astounding. And the Rambam draws out this distinction in Surah number 15 with an amazing thing. The Gemara, after first, is quoting the straightforward Gemara, which the Gemara is amazing in its own right, but then the Rambam continues. Surah number 15, talmud kemisa Somebody who's truly an ohev Torah, someone who's an intellectual, for lack of a better term, someone who wants to learn, who lives a life of Torah, then being without Torah, below Talmud, is actually death. Right? It's an ast- again, it's just the implication of the Gemara, but the Rambam teases it out. You can't live without Torah from the word of Chai. To be without Torah, to be in the Golos, without your Torah, you're not living. Now, that is itself an astounding and significant, significant statement of the Gemara and of the Rambam about the importance of learning, that a life without learning is death. But if you think about it, there is something slightly off with this especially the Rambam interprets it after all the importance of learning I get but why the importance of learning from the Rebbe if you tell me that the Eremiklet have to have a fund for Svarim right? every shul has a certain fund and a library so they can buy new books so the Eremiklet need that after all you can't send someone to Galus if you won't be able to learn Tafyomi if you won't be able to learn Torah because and you could have said the Rambam the exact line <speaking in Hebrew> you have to provide Svarim but why does the Rebbe have to go? I think you see clearly implied in this is that learning, but without your Rebbe. You can't live without a Rebbe. Not just live without Torah. It's that, a person can learn without a Rebbe. What if there's other rebbeim in the Urmik? The Ritva makes that point. You need your Rebbe, not just without Torah. But if you have a relationship. So on the one hand, a Talmud without his Rebbe has no life. But the Gemara, less celebrated, the Gemara says the opposite is also true. If a Rebbe kills somebody by accident, they're magal on the whole yeshiva with him. But the Gemara there gives no drusha, no source, no explanation. But the Meiri on the Gemara, source number 16, the Meiri says it's the exact same thing. That a Rebbe without his Talmidim ain't lo below yeshiva. But well, the Rebbe can learn. The Rebbe for him. The Rebbe's on sabbatical. A true Rebbe who's dedicated to his Talmudim, Rav below Talmud, Rav below Yeshiva, Kamisa Cheshuvim. So it's the same thing. From the Talmud's perspective, he can't live without his Rebbe. But from a Rebbe's perspective, he can't live without his Talmudim. An amazing, amazing, striking thing. This is what a true Rebbe-Talmud relationship is. And just to conclude, I want to just mention one last point. The Gemurian Baba Babakama, says something really shocking initially in Tafchof. Gemara says that Rav Chizda asked a question from Rav Rami, bar, Rami Bar-Chama and Rami bar wouldn't answer him until Rav Chizda was Misharisim. Serve me, do something, get me coffee. Then I'll answer you. Now again, if you, if you were checking out uh, a high school for your children, or for that matter, you came to Eretz to visit in winter vacation, and you know, on Monday you were in Gush, and on Tuesday you were in Shalavim, and you're sitting in on the Sheer, and a Talmud raised his hand and asked the Rebbe a question. And the Rebbe said, I'm only going to answer if you first get me a cup of coffee. What would your reaction be? i like to I think the average person, the average person, the average person, would run for the door. Would run for the door. Or at least to a different shir in that yeshiva, if not a different yeshiva. So what is going on? What's the shot? Again, this is, this is kind of like some pre-modern, abusive, Rebbe-Talmud relationship. Chas v'shalom. So, in the introduction to the Sefer Shara Yosher, there's a very, very highly analytical, complex work of, uh, of Gemara Logic from Shemesh Kup, the great Rashiva of Grodna, Talmud of Tells. So he there quotes in the introduction something he heard from his brother-in-law, a man who I'm happy to, to mention his name, he should live at L'Shemel Tiferet, even though I never heard of him before, otherwise, from common and able me tells, his brother-in-law. What was the pshat? He says something really incredible. Iun toli islamid Says the Sharyosher, quoting his brother-in-law, uh, what we would call, I'll put it in modern parlance, a Mishnah Brewer question. A fact. Tom... Some people just don't have the information that the Rebbe has, that the Shul Rabbi has. So you call up, it's not the most complicated thing, but there's an information gap. The Rebbe has the information the Talmud does, and you ask a question. So for that, you just need a Rebbe who knows something. You need a Talmud who wants to know. You don't need more than that. But says, there are so many things in learning or in life which are not, quote-unquote, a Mishnehru question. They're complex. They're, com- they're confusing. It's a world of gray. The hard questions, whether it's in a sugya or the hard questions of life, it only works if the Talmud trusts his Rebbe. If the Talmud trusts the Rebbe, then he's willing to take that leap of faith and follow the advice or the insight of the Rebbe. But without that trust as the ultimate glue to hold the relationship together, there's only so far. The Rebbe is good as a Maramokom. The Rebbe knows more Torah than the Talmud. But without that trust, the buy-in, as we might say, the Rebbe can't be a Maura And he explains that's what the Gemara was doing. It wasn't uh, you know, looking just for kavod or you know, I need a servant so cheap labor from the Talmud. It was a way of the Talmud expressing, I'm loyal to you, Rebbe. I'll do anything you need. When the Rebbe realized that the Talmud truly, truly trusted him, then he knew that even if he gave him complex or difficult advice or a difficult answer, the Rebbe knew that the Talmud would trust him. And trust is the cornerstone. If the Rebbe cannot inspire, does not deserve the trust of the Talmud, then there's a significant limit to how far that relationship can go, how far, how much the Talmud can grow from his Rebbe. And therefore he concludes, And he says that's the similar idea of being Shemush. One second, let me just finish. So the idea of shimush, it's all about trust. It's not about power. If you see a Rebbe like that, you should run for the door. No true Rebbe is looking for power over his Talmudim but there has to be a Rebbe knows a Talmud knows and I've been blessed to be both without that trust then it's just a book it's book knowledge you can get that you can get from the internet that you can get from books but the relationship built on trust and mutual dedication the Rebbe if the Talmud gives that to the Rebbe then they can grow and just like we saw in the earlier sources there's a certain reciprocity I think with this I'll conclude it goes as well. On the one hand, yes, the Rebbe demands trust. The Talmud should trust his Rebbe. On the other hand, once you have that, it gets a boomerang. It gets reciprocated because then the Talmud will receive trust. Trust in what? Trust in the (coughs) Mesorah. And this is a very beautiful idea that of Lichtenstein used to say many times and it's included in a very famous article of his how when he was growing up, then you know when he was a kid, you know he had kind of questions that we don't necessarily have as kids. But the, what we what people like you and me have in our, ni- our teens and our 20s, you know Luchstein might have had when he was about 12, deep questions, philosophical questions. And said of Luchstein, I never found answers to all of them. I didn't have answers. I don't have answers to all of them, says Luchstein. But what I have is trust in the Mesorah. Where did he get that trust? He said very beautifully and very famously, "I got that from my rebbeim." He speaks in this particular part of the article about the two of the Rebbeim, two of his three Rebbeim, about the Rav and Rav Huttner, that he, what I saw from my, my Rebbeim was well, it was not necessary to have all the answers but to learn how to live with questions. Regardless of the issues, moral, theological, historical, they vexed me, that I was confident that they had been raised by masters far sharper and wiser than myself. And if they had remained impregnably steadfast in their commitment, so should and could I. There are questions that don't have answers. And if my Rebbeim can live with the questions, I've learned to trust the Mesorah, to trust in Hashem from those Rebbeim. And if a could live with certain things despite his external sense of being certain about things, says, so could I. And if the Rebbe could, the depth and intensity of their votus, Hashem, became doubly reassuring. So again, I conclude by pointing out we see the same idea yet again. What the Talmud gives to the Rebbe in trust and loyalty and dedication, he gets back tenfold because that trust and dedication will give him the independence and the trust and confidence in the Masorah. The key to the Mesorah, the key to everything, is the dual loyalty and commitment that the Rebbe has to the Talmud and that the Talmud has to the Rebbe. That commingling of independence and dependence of trust and loyalty and dedication it's not only the key to success, for the Rebbe and the Talmud, it's the secret. It's the secret to the Mesorah. When we're, as Rebbeim, we want to give everything to our Talmudim to help them be the next link in the chain. But it only happens, the Rebbe, no matter how dedicated he is, if the Talmudim share that similar dedication to the higher and shared purpose. And if we can do that, then, emir tz Hashem, we should all have great success and nachas from our children and Vanecha elu talmidecha, from our Talmidim as well.